Welcome to the Grace Life Church podcast. My name is Parker Smith, lead pastor of Grace Life Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. Our prayer is that the sermon you're about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. Thank you so much, Bart, praise team, and if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open with me to the book of First Peter, uh, chapter number one, and um, just want to tell you briefly, um, we're going to begin uh, a three-week uh, topical yet also expositional sermon series through the book of First Peter for the next three weeks. We're going to look at First uh, Peter chapter one, the very end of First Peter one, and into chapter 2 for about three verses, but by way of introducing you very briefly to Peter's epistle and his writings, Peter goes back and forth just like many uh, biblical writers of what we would call the indicative and the imperative. That is, he introduces commands but also follows them with also motivation. That is, the indicative As you read your Bible, you would notice this, that there's this back and forth. The Scripture is not only filled with commands that we are to follow and obey, but also motivations as to why we should follow those commands. So the guard that we guard against in keeping both of those, the indicative and the imperative, is that we guard against legalism. And we also guard against antinomianism. But it's especially important to keep in mind when Peter is writing what he said Already in chapter number one, he's used this indicative imperative. He says, indicatively, he says, know that you are elect exiles. That's what you ought to know. And then is the command is that so that you would set your hope on things above. He says a command of be holy. It's an imperative. Followed by an indicative of knowing that you have been redeemed. He says that we ought to live in fear of the Lord because we know that your Father is both judge and Savior. The gospel brings to us both responsibility to obey and also fruit that should result because of our new birth in Christ. And in this passage, Peter continues in this pattern into the second chapter as well, namely, because you have been born again, through the Word of God, obey it. And the way that that's expressed is through our love for one another. And because this Word endures, that's the indicative, continue to grow then. Forsake sinfulness. Here's the command, put away malice and deceit and all the like in chapter 2. What I'd like to do this morning is spend my time in dealing with what this text says about the Word of God. And I'll spend the next few weeks unpacking those truths and then follow up with implications of the Word of God for us. And there's a lot that we can say here this morning, but note why I begin with this this interaction with the indicative and the imperative. Notice what he says in verse 22. He says, "...having purified your souls..." By your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And at face value, if you were to read that, 
you may deduce, as some try to do, to claim that Peter is speaking of some works righteous salvation that we work in order to earn. In other words, that we are purifying our souls by our obedience. But beloved, that would be legalism. And if you don't understand what Peter is saying, how Peter is arguing, you'll begin to travel down the wrong path. We know that Peter isn't communicating this, and this is not what Peter has in mind, because what he has commanded just prior to that, namely that we know something. Peter means that there is a truth that ought to govern our lives in the way that we live. And you see that in verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So Peter is not saying that we purify our souls and that he is teaching some form of works righteousness, but rather that righteousness ought to follow the redemption that we have received from the grace of God in Christ. And further, he emphasizes it here, is that it's a, it's a right response to the truth. And what is that right response to the truth that we have received? Peter concludes that it is our obedience. Peter is concerned with obedience to the truth, that we not rebel from it. And that obedience is seen in our response to Christ. It is our continued sanctification. Peter, in many ways, is, is echoing what Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer when Jesus said, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And that's why Peter turns his focus in this text toward the word of God. And it's why we should do the same. Beloved, as your pastor, I have one prayer for you this year in 2024. It's that you would grow in your love for God. And in so doing, you would grow in your affection for His Word. And it's in light of that that I would invite you to stand as we read together 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And again, we'll spend about three weeks total here. This is what Peter says. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth from a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is God's word. If you believe that, would you say amen this morning? You may be seated. I want to call your attention to a couple points this morning. I want you to see point number one about the word of God, that the word of God brings about new birth. I see that in verse 23. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. 
Peter began in chapter 1, verse 3, speaking about how we have been born again. He says that blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And now He turns and says in verse 23 that you have been born again. In other words, the spiritual nature of the new birth now brings implication of how we are to live our spiritual lives in this world. And the birth here is said to have happened through the Word of God, through the living and abiding Word. What's the point? The point is that God is actively at work through the ministry of His Word. God's Word is living, it is active, it is abiding. And that's what we'll spend the next three weeks discussing. It gets us into a discussion about how God moves through His Spirit-inspired or Spirit-infused, Christ-centered, God-Christ-exalting Word. It's a loaded statement, but I'll say it again. It gets us into a discussion about how God moves through His Spirit-infused or His inspired, Christ-centered, God-exalting Word. And by infused, I don't mean like a piece of meat that's infused before you cook it, but I mean the finished product where it's hard to separate the parts from the substance. That when God speaks in Scripture, think about it. When the triune God speaks, His Word comes in power. Genesis 1, you know it well. In the beginning was the Word. God created the heavens and the earth. Excuse me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and without form. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. There was light. God speaking into existence from the very Word of God, the power from the triune God. One of my favorite passages is found in Ezekiel 37. You can be turning there. This was also my last paper before I graduated from New Orleans Seminary. And I often joke that all that stood between me and getting my diploma was a valley of dry bones. In this passage, Ezekiel sees a vision from the Lord concerning the people of Israel. It's an odd scene, to say the least. There's this valley that is filled with dry bones. And the Lord comes to Ezekiel from a mountain view and now brings him down into this valley. And the Lord says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, why don't we go for a little walk? Let's go check out these dry, dead bones. Ezekiel writes in verses 1 through 5, The hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And He led me all around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel, you see these bones. 
Can these dry, dead, decaying, lifeless bones, can they live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. What a statement that Ezekiel has just made. What a statement, because if I were him, and I think if you were him as well, the, the, the obvious answer seems to be a resounding no. And maybe you as the reader would even be tempted to answer for him. There's no way that these bones can live. But what a statement by Ezekiel here in this passage. What a word of response from the prophet. Oh Lord, you know. I think Ezekiel is getting at in his response that in a normal circumstance, not a chance that these bones could live. In a normal scientific understanding, not in a million years would this happen. But Ezekiel says, I know who I'm talking to. And it's pretty clear that I don't know what I'm talking about, but Lord, you know if these bones could live. Verse 4, And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. He continues in verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there was sinew on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, O breathe on the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and they stood to their feet, an exceedingly great army. And from the mouth of God, comes life-giving power through His Spirit, breathing onto dead, dark, decaying, dry bones, and He gives them life. And what's happening in Ezekiel 37 was explained that would take place in Ezekiel 36. God is concerned with His name being defiled among the nations, that His people have forsaken His covenant. They were to carry the glory of God to all nations so that God might be worshipped. And instead, His people have disobeyed the Lord, and instead of giving glory to His name, they have profaned it. And God says, I am about to act on behalf of dead, lifeless, dry Israel. But it's not for their sake I'm going to act. I am going to act for my own namesake, says the Lord. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone, remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. And then says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord, and they come to life.
This is a picture, is it not? This is a picture of how the Spirit works through our new birth in Christ, that our old nature, our old heart, our old flesh is to be done away with. And by the power of God and the Spirit of God, according to the Word of God, that we are brought forth to life by Christ. Can these bones live? You know, Lord. Grace Life Church, can these bones live? Not unless the Lord gives life to them. Through His breath, through His Spirit, through His Word, He gives us life. That is how God brought forth your spiritual life. It's how He did it for you. In power. God did it through His Word, by His Spirit. And that's how God brings life to His church. So while we read Psalm 33, 6-9, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And by the breath of His mouth all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. And His word, as Paul says, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God would be equipped to complete every good work. I'm going to save the statement that Peter makes, namely of the living and abiding word that endures forever. I'll stay that till next week. But just as a teaser, note the connection between the word of God and the spirit of God at work through his word. And I'll unpack that more fully in the coming weeks, but remember what Jesus said in John 6. He says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. There are some of you who do not believe. The Word is spirit, and the Spirit is actively at work through His Word. There's a very strong connection that the Apostle Paul makes in two passages. One is Ephesians 5 and how that passage corresponds to Colossians chapter 3.16. There is a strong connection that Paul sees between the work of the Spirit and the work of the Word. That the Spirit operates inconsistently with the Word of God. And the Word of God reveals to us how the Spirit is at work, that they are consistently at work. They, they are working together. But notice what Paul says. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He gives now some ways in which we should do that. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing melody to the Lord with your heart and giving thanks always for everything to God and Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And notice what Paul says so similarly in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. And here's how the implications of the word of Christ dwelling in you. Almost identical to Ephesians 5. 
teaching one another and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. These two churches, given almost identical exhortations, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. What does that look like? What looks like singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving. God works through His Word. He brings about new birth through His Spirit-inspired, Christ-centered, God-exalting Word. Many of you probably know many programs of evangelism, whether it be Evangelism Explosion or other evangelism frameworks, the Romans Road, they all usually point to this very familiar verse in the book of Romans in their presentation. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, and what good news that is. But how will then when they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And here's the statement. You can almost finish it. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So Peter says in verse 22 and 23, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth from a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. How? Through the living and abiding Word of God. Peter is building, in the same way that we are, towards this living and abiding Word. And he notes in the language in this text, this language of seed. And they're intended to contrast one another. One is perishable and one is imperishable. You have been redeemed not with perishable things, like silver or gold, but with precious blood, verse 18. He says in verse 7 that your genuine faith is more precious than gold that perishes. And the language of seed is the language of offspring. It means to impart the meaning of who you descend from. And it's tied here with the notion, don't miss it, of being born again. In other words, who are you descending from? To, to what are, were you born from? Things of the earth? Or from Christ? Perishable seed? Or imperishable? Beloved, God begets His children through the seed of the Word of God. And His begetting of His children is not temporal, but it is everlasting. If you were born of merely earthly things in the same way that you were born physically, your existence ends upon your death. But if you were born from above, that is, you have been born again by His Spirit, it is imperishable, and it lasts forever. 
You see the language of seed very early in the Scriptures, as early as Genesis chapter 3. When the curse is given upon the serpent for deceiving Adam and Eve, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? In verse 13, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Verse 14, and the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, curse you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field and on your belly you shall go and to dust you shall eat and all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring, the word there is zarah, it means seed, between your seed and her offspring or her seed. And the implication of that is that he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And from this you see the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent are at odds. And that you can trace all through the biblical narrative. You see it very quickly in the story of Cain and Abel, of one who was pleased God and one who displeased God. You see, Abel, who pleased God, was slain by the one who displeased him, namely Cain. The escalation continues through the story, and we see a glimpse of what is for we are intended to see, even in that passage of Cain and Abel in John's writing. Notice what John says in 1 John 3, verses 11 and 12. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. It's picked up in Jesus' words in John's writing again in John 8, 44, that you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And the point is not that Cain begot Satan, but nonetheless his character is one who emulates the character of the adversary. You see it again in the conflict between Isaiah and Ishmael, the the enmity of the seeds. Seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. One who is the seed of promise, the other of unbelief. You see it again in the contrast of Egypt and the people of Israel. This back and forth of the firstborn sons. Exodus 4.23, And I say to you, send my son that he may serve me. But if you refuse to send him, behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. This language of seed, this language of continuing through birth and offspring, it continues all throughout the Bible until you meet the true seed of the woman, who is also eternally begotten, from the Father, the Son of God and the Son of Man. And it is through Christ that the seed of the woman crushes the seed of the serpent. That the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, this interplay, it's all throughout the Scripture and it's intended to, you see it manifest through their heart and through action and through motives. And they are showing and displaying who they belong to. The seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent. And notice what John says in 1 John 3, trying to tie all this together. It's why he would say it makes so much sense when you understand it in that 
biblical theological framework that whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Notice verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Peter is saying, you ought to know who your father is. Who do you belong to? Beloved, if you have been born again by the seed of the word, you have been born again from above, not with perishable things, but imperishable things through the blood of Christ and through the work of his word. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Point two, the word of God is good news. See this in verse 25b, and the word of God is the good news that was preached to you. That this word that brought about new birth, this living and active Abiding word remains forever that this is the good news that was preached to you. It is the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is what the scriptures portray and proclaim. They all point to the culmination of all things in Christ our Redeemer. Jesus says in John 5, 39, that you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. That the Scripture is proclaiming the glory and goodness of the Redeemer of Jesus Christ. You remember when Jesus was walking on the road of Emmaus with His disciples in Luke 24. And He walks with them, but they were kept from recognizing them, and they were speaking about all the things that are recently taking place, the culmination of the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and they were saddened because they had not seen the resurrected Lord. They had only heard rumors of the empty tomb. And Jesus turns to those disciples in Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. Note the text. He says to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. All the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. That Jesus saw the law and the writing of the law of Moses, and he saw the writing of the prophets. He saw all the Scriptures, and he saw it all pointing to the Messiah. And Jesus explains to them that this book that we have, that this understanding of what the Word of God is communicating, every bit of it was pointing to the Messiah. 
and pointing to His redemption. And there's so much more that could be said about the Word of God. And that's why we want to study and we want to read and understand our Bibles by line upon line, precept upon precept. And we want to know what this Scripture is communicating. But beloved, don't miss that, that the Scripture is held together by one scarlet thread that runs through the entire Old and New Testament. And it is the scarlet thread of Christ and Him crucified. And both the Old and the New Testament as they are unfolded is God's plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Himself in the person of Christ and through the Old Testament and the New Testament is the unfolding of the Scripture. And that's why Peter would look at the Word of God and he says about the Old Testament alluding to Isaiah 40 that the Word of God endures forever. But he says that's not all that endures forever. No, it's not just the Old Testament that endures forever. No, this New Testament reality founded in Jesus, this is the good news that was preached to you. And it abides forever. Peter quotes from Isaiah 40. And the context of Isaiah 40 is the good news for Zion and Jerusalem that God will come and will fulfill all His promises to Israel. And God does fulfill His promises to His people, and He does it through Christ. And it's why Peter says that this Word is the good news. It's the culmination of God's plan for His people. It's what Paul would pick up in Ephesians, and he'd pick up again in Colossians chapter 3, that the mystery of Christ, that God's plan was mysterious. In Genesis 3, what is this seed of the woman, seed of the serpent? What is this covenant promises that are made on all these culminations? And then you see Christ. And it all starts to come together. God's plan and promise that He gave to Abraham, even far back as Genesis chapter 12, for all the nations to be blessed through Him is now taking place and that the Gentiles too, all nations are receiving the good news and it is through Christ that they are considered and counted as offspring. That's Galatians 3.29. And just as Abraham believed God, so now through faith in Christ, we too as Gentiles are counted as righteous offspring. And it is through the preaching of the good news, this word, the exaltation of Jesus, looking to Him and Him alone for salvation that we are saved. This word... The Spirit-filled, God-breathed, Christ-centered, exalting Word. It's the means by which God beckons sinners to repent and believe His gospel. For if you were just to go and look at the cosmos, you would see the wonderful works of God you may even conclude there must be a higher power in this world. You may even conclude by looking at the cosmos, God's general revelation that that God is loving and that He is good and that He's beautiful and that He's majestic. Just look at His creation. But if that's all you knew, you wouldn't know Him ultimately. You wouldn't know Him fully and you wouldn't know Him as your Redeemer because you would not know Christ, His only Son. You would not know Him as He has revealed Himself through His Word. 
And all the work of God, the Old Testament, the New Testament, this word abides forever, that all Scripture is God-breathed. And the apostles, as they were writing, they were divinely inspired to put to ink the very word of God. And through this word, God speaks. He breathes life to us. His Spirit works within us. He opens our eyes to see the beauty of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He softens our hearts towards repentance and faith. And it is faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. A couple things real quickly. Personally, This brings about my own repentance as a preacher. That I work and I try extremely hard every single week to pour over a text a number of hours and I preached hard and I I want to be textually driven and I pour my heart and I pour my soul out in every single week when I preach and I go home drained every week. The thing I look forward to most after I preach is my Sunday afternoon nap. I'm tired after I preach because I want to give it my all because God's glory is worth my everything. And I do it because I know what's at stake. Beloved, eternity lays in the balance. And I'm not so naive to think that every person listening doesn't need to hear this Word. But also preach to you as a broken man preaching to broken men. And always say that I'm not ready to preach a text until I've been personally moved by this text. But I'll say this, in my prep every single week, I'm hit with this reality of this book is an absolute miracle that we hold in our hands. That it is God speaking to us. That we open up and we can read and we can know and be assured that this is the triune God and He has spoken to humanity. It's an absolute gift that we have. That so often we just go day after day after day and we ignore it and it stays on our shelf. And Lord, help us to recognize the true treasure that we have in His Word. And along those lines, how foolish to think that how hard I preach could somehow cause or stir or elicit some life-giving response from you. I'd be foolish to think that. Because you aren't born again because of man. You're born again through the Word of God. It's not up to me. If sinners respond, if you respond, it will not be because anything that I have spoken, but because God has done a work in your heart. And yes, I want to work hard. I want to work so hard, so hard that I would be tempted to believe that it's up to me, but no, in my heart of hearts, it's not up to me. And that I should repent of ever thinking that it was. Because it's the Spirit who gives life. And the flesh, my flesh, your flesh, it's no help at all. We must be born again. How? 
through the word of God. The living and abiding word. And as I come to a close this morning, I come with a word of warning. When the Apostle Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, he rebuked them from turning away from Christ. And this word, this gospel, this word is, is not something that you move beyond. You'll never grow beyond your need for the Word of God. Christian, this Word is your lifeblood. It's what gives you life. It's, it's how God works in your life. It's how you know how God is moving, how God is leading, what is truth, what is He calling you to. It is through this Word. So Paul says, I'm astonished that you so quickly deserted Him who called you in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different Gospel. They're turning away from the Christ that who saved them. And he continues in Galatians 3. He says, Oh foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the obvious answer is that you heard it with faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And Paul concludes his warning to them, as I said in the beginning, that the mark of a purified soul is one that responds in obedience to the truth. Paul says in Galatians 5-7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And what hindered them was that they shifted away from the Spirit's work and the work and the person of Christ for salvation and they thought they could do and accomplish anything in their own flesh. And beloved, that's the same posture that we have when we turn away from the wisdom and truth of God's Word and attempt to build our lives upon our own wisdom, upon our own thinking. We think that we have it figured out. And we turn away from the work of God and the Spirit of God to the work of His Word and the person of Christ, and we then try to build on the sinking sand of our flesh. It's foolish that we would turn away from God's gift to us and build upon another foundation. And it's why the author of Hebrews preaches, therefore we must pay close attention to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So I end with that warning and a time of reflection in your walk with Christ And it would be a great way to contemplate that truth as we lead in the next week about the living and abiding Word of God. Beloved, is your life marked by conformity to the Word of God? Have you been born again? What gospel, what good news was preached to you? Was it in accordance to the Word of God? And are you keeping in step with that gospel that was preached to you? Has God brought about the new birth? Has He breathed life into your dead corpse of a soul through the power of His gospel and the power of His word? Have you been brought from death to life by the person of Christ and the moving of His Spirit? Do you need to repent of your complacency towards the Scripture and your response to the Word of God that He has given to us. However the Lord may be leading you in your own heart 
I pray that you would respond in that way as we pray together. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about Grace Life Church, please email us at gracelifedecatur at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching Grace Life Church Decatur. And if you live in the Decatur area, we would love for you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until next time on the Grace Life Church podcast.